0: To his left, and he's on his way. Ten, nine, five, three. Cut down. Wonderful try. We have a mole, Jim. Dig's like a demented mole. There. He just busts through the defence. Just watch this.
1: Financial dopers.
2: <laughs> Amy loves take five. It's just Amy's you can just see what She loves it, just wasn't just she? Just she? Too tired it's hard. To did, you know, did you have a form. nice time in Liverpool, Uncle Ian?
1: Mm. What a
0: good question. Good evening and welcome to the Molecast. Good evening. Good evening. Have we done a sound test? We're good. How do I sound? Namibia. Djibouti. Yeah, we're fine. Cape Horn. You're not a country. <laughs> <So
2: much. laughs> is Cape Horn a country?
0: No, that's where, uh, that's where those countries are. Or well, the Horn of Africa. She's Cape Horn is uh, South Africa. Isn't it? Many. Good evening. Cape
1: Horn is the bottom of Argentina. Cape of Good Hope is the uh, bottom, of, bottom of South Africa. Good evening and welcome to the Molecast. Good evening. Good evening. We didn't get a chance to talk about it last week for a variety of reasons. So I'll ask you now, before kickoff in the Heineken uh, Champions Cup final, have to think of the name there for a second. Great branding, lads. Um, did you think Leinster were going to win? No. Yes. I thought they were going to win because I generally think Leinster are going to win most games. Um, I think um, the most retweeted thing we've possibly ever had was a comment you'd said, which was the winning. In, oh, the winning and the losing of the game was in. Uh, not kicking to touch uh, at, just before half time. Uh, do you stand by that given how the second half went? Yeah, absolutely. Like, it was tweeted after the match because that
0: at that stage it was lost, but we were sitting beside each other, which is quite unusual to watch matches. Beside yeah, it's off and, it. and the ball was at the back of the rook, and you could see the clock going red, so we, we had that advantage. And, and we're frequent television talkers. are <laughs> both like, I'll just kick it out. And then he shaped a kick, and then he put the kick up in the air, and he's like, and then Carney got caught in the wrong side. And then, like, the chase was lackluster. Carney got caught in the wrong side. And then we spent a bit of time in the last podcast, or the Post to Lose podcast, talking about the impact that the introduction of the, the change in penalty law had made to when the ball goes dead, and how that, if he gave away a penalty at the end of a half, <clears throat> you could put yourself under a lot of pressure, and like, the, the impact that it has on kicking for the post, all that sort of stuff. So when he gave away the penalty there, you're going, ah... Oh. These guys are going to be in our twenty-two, and they're going to have an attack, you moron! And then they went unscored. Um, and the day after, and I was, I was thinking about this for the last few days. So I might ramble about it. That I coached the seconds one year when they were stuck, and like there, there was no one else to do it. And there was a guy who became our manager who was going through you know difficult, you know, transition in his life and wanted to get back involved in the community and he came back to manage the team but he didn't know anything about rugby he'd certainly he had more golf guy and a tennis guy individual sports and then he was a good guy came friends with each other but not a rugby guy and the following year i played and i played in the match at Greystones, and yeah this prop reggie and he, he did something you know stupid and he gave away a penalty try. anyway he whatever it was he did resulted in Greystone scoring seven points and that was the difference of the match and PB, who's still our manager, gave him both barrels afterwards and goes, Reggie, you idiot, you lost that match first. And we were all looking around, the older guys thinking, whoa, PB, chill out, <laughs> whoa, man, like there, there was there was more than just that. But at the same stage, like 90-10, you know, 10-90, 20-80, thinking, hey, he's right, Reggie, you clown, you did <laughs> lose that match to us. But the rugby omerta dictates that you don't... Finger out a guy, the team takes the responsibility. So, afterwards, like Leo Cullen immediately came out and sexton exactly with them, singing off the same hymn sheet. Oh, like we thought we kicked the ball up in the air at their best player because we might have got a penalty and that would see us going in a 13 3. And you're there going, oh, like, how stupid do you think we are? No one has that tactic. Um, well, I certainly just think I'm be taken by a fool if I'm going to believe that. So, to put it in real time. I couldn't believe what he'd done and I think the criticism that I've had for Luke McGrath for a number of seasons is that as a scrum half he's absolutely tone deaf to the pace of a match and even to the extent of like throwing an intercept now you see some of the tackles that he puts in like before Saracen scored he put in an incredible tackle on Jamie George like for a scrum half and he made a number of like um, Fardy got a turnover off the back of a Luke McGrath tackle and when Larmer was chasing through Luke McGrath's beside him like there's a number of things that Luke McGrath does that are admirable as a rugby player Um, and I think due to his body shape like just the the fact that he's short meant that he was always put at scrum half and like scrum half is where he plays but like if the bloke but that's that's all done and done Um, so I really did think it was the winning and the losing of the match because re-watching the match like I was struck by how good Saracens were so it's you can't quibble or have qualms with the fact that probably the better team won, but if you are playing a cup match, like you don't have to be the better team to win a cup match, you don't have to be the better team to win a cup competition. Like it, it's harder to win multiple matches, but you can get a lucky draw, and you can just be in form at the right time, and your opposition can have injuries or whatever, injuries, bad matches, refereeing decisions to go against you. Like it's, it's not a league in in which generally the better team does win, um, and you know what can you say? It just like just. Terrible mismanagement to my mind. No,
2: I agree with you. Not on everything, but that was the most salient point. We we're just, I fully expected him to kick it out. The clock had just gone red. I thought he was going to faff around it for another three or four seconds just to make sure it was like 40.04 before he put it out. Uh, and we just ah, put it out, put it out. And he puts it up. And you're like,
0: oh, Christ. And I was trying to think of comparisons. So I. I I couldn't find the match to rewatch. It's not like I have this library, but in the Grand Slam match last year, that Joey Carberry, I think, took it down the blind side in injury time from Murray, or certainly very close to the end against England. But at that stage, the difference is Ireland kept the ball in hand. So, like, if you turn it over, turn it over from a knock-on. You can force something, because the, the difference being the match is over. Don't mm. give away a penalty, because they can kick it into your half, and then they get an attack because that's the way the law has changed. Mm-hmm. Um, plus, if you keep the ball in hand, you might actually you sort of give the guys the benefit of the doubt that they that, that they sense something is on that they sense that they're fitter that they sense that maybe there's an injury on the other side that they haven't replaced that waiting at the wait in a half time and a guy's hobbling like George Cruz didn't look like he was going to complete the match and he like he played really really well but when he went hobbling off at his ankle I thought ooh, Cruz have a go Cruz, um, but to kick it. And they you, kick it at their best player. Yeah, and that's the thing and about it. kick it with such a bad chase.
2: Rugby is, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an art, not a science. So we have scored points. Lancer answer have been pretty outstanding at scoring points very late in the first half, both this season and last season. And <clears throat> uh, in one way, I can admire the intention to, you know, go for the juggler We have the ball. But uh, it was just a, even, even at that, you go, you know what the right decision is in your head. You're 10, three up. You're in your own half. It's half time. Just put it out.
1: Well, I was in the jacks when it happened. And I came back to a flood of messages going after the try at half time, It's been, God, he should have put that out. And
2: um, we're picking on Luke McGrath here a bit. He's playing on two gammy knees from the looks of things, both knees, heavily strapped. Uh, and as as Andy said there earlier, he put in an extremely brave performance. Yeah. We were super handicapped by the fact that we didn't even have the option of having Jameson Gibson JGP. Park yeah. on the bench, who uh, whose hamstring injury has only recently come good. So we had a second-year uh, academy scrum half on the bench in a Heineken Cup final. <laughs> Most of his age-grade rugby at fullback. And it's one example of, of where Leinster... Um, aren't as aren't as deep as we had been in previous previous years. You know, if you go back to our back to back uh, twenty eleven and twenty twelve Heineken Cups, our scrum halves actually in twenty twelve the sub scrum half was John Cooney because Isaac Boss had to drop out. But for those two seasons, it was Boss and Redden who were both well internationals established international
0: players. Yeah, like it have to be say pretty. The, arguably at the peak of their parents. Yeah, I, mean, I think Renan won a man of the match played for Wasps, so maybe not. But, like, yeah, extremely accomplished, experienced guys. Because we said it to each other again during the second half that Leinster couldn't change their shape significantly because they essentially had a placeholder at scrum half. Like, Hughie O'Sullivan was only coming out of that match if Luke McGrath was injured. and <laughs>
2: Even more injured. <laughs> even more injured.
0: And how, like, and one of the reasons I thought Leinster would Win was because they had more difference makers in the backs with uh, Larmer, Low, and Ringrose. I thought like these guys can conjure out. Rob Carney. and well, Robert played very well, but I wouldn't consider him as a game breaker necessarily. <laughs> uh, whereas I thought for Saracens, I thought really like Liam Williams was their was their wild card. Liam Williams, I think, Alex, Good. I think Alex Good is a very, I think he gives them a lot of tactical options, and I, I think. They use him very well, but I don't think that he's. I don't think he's Liam Williams. Uh, in that he's he's going to do something magical with just yeah. on his own. He so he brings players into the game more.
1: We all agreed. Um, Saracens had a better team, and uh, they won on the day and <clears throat> won by ten points in the end, uh, which is I think quite a significant uh, win against the Leinster team. Do you think there's another team in Europe who could have come as close as ten points in the day?
0: Uh, so I don't run, know. Like, who cares? I, I, put, well, sorry, not to be dismissive. Uh, Rassing. Rassing a very, very strong pack, very strong defensively. They wouldn't have beaten Saracen, so.
2: No, Rassing is also, as we've said before, it's
0: a team of flakes. They would have lost. That would have been, that'd been I think the same You know, I watched point.
2: Claremont play, uh, play La Rochelle the, uh, the previous night in Challenge Cup final, which was one of the most enjoyable g- games I've watched as a neutral no, the most enjoyable game of a watch is a neutral all season. I include England-Wales, which I didn't really enjoy, and a lot of people got a lot from it. Um, but the game was was superb. Uh, Claremont have great attacking threat, play with lots of... Uh, they play with lots of aggression and athleticism. They have a lot of particularly big Raka and Yato... Two of their Fijians, one in the Fords at at six and one, and the way now Tony came off the bench, someone's keeping him out of the team. Amazingly, but that was a brilliant game. Like every time I see Claremont play, uh, you know they're a very easy team to like, but I can't see them. Couldn't see them beating Saracens at all. Like not, you know, not like uh, they might win one in five. Which, you know, I think Leinster would have a better chance of that. So, I I don't think there's there's no doubt in my mind anyway. I wasn't optimistic going into into. I'm never optimistic for Leicester fans, but I, I, there was particularly uh, downbeat going into that one. I didn't think that we could live with Saracens when I saw the teams announced, I saw the reflect or the respective strengths on the benches. Uh, I felt that Saracens. With Nick Sequey Schalkberger, Wigglesworth Strattle um Vincent Koch were significantly stronger than we were
1: i'm just uh I'm just trying to feel out the nature of it was won and lost in a moment, but also Saracens were much stronger than us um I feel like it wasn't won and lost in that moment. Obviously, it's a huge moment. It's, seven, it's, it's the root cause of probably seven points, but I felt like at the start of the second half when Ringrose got swallowed up with, um, when the, the, the sort of tackle from Liam Williams where he came in from the right wing and then ended up turning over the ball seemed to be as big a turning point as any, any in the match to me.
0: Yeah, I'd agree with you there, but that wasn't conscious. Or you can if you if you want to argue as conscious, Ringrose could have forced a pass a one-handed sling to Robbie Henshaw, who was in space, and Henshaw might have scored. But like ultimately, like that might have gone forward as well. And you'd sort of I certainly would have questioned Ringrose throwing that pass. I thought Liam Williams did very well, and we were talking beforehand about what was he legal and you know, arguably not, but I, I thought he did extremely well to turn the ball over, having made the tackle, get up on his feet, disengage, all that sort of stuff. Um I think the four-man overlap again, we were chatting about it before. I, I think Ringrose is a like such a good decision maker, has such good rugby sense that he looked outside and saw that the next man he was going to pass to sh- was Sean O'Brien and decided he's not going to pass it. So, like, Sean, will have a three-man overlap, but, like, he's just going to truck it up into somebody and I'm going to have to ruck on him. So it makes more sense for me to hit a sidestep, get through, Sean, can win the breakdown. And you know, we'll have another opportunity to attack. And I think, again, like we we were discussing it afterwards in the aftermath of the match that it's one of those things that I think implicitly I'd always known, but I hadn't been able to elucidate or elaborate on it about that idea of scoreboard pressure really until now, like that that fact that if you're 10-3 up, the longer the game goes on, what do they do? So at 10-all, Saracens could take the kick with the first opportunity and go ahead. You know, at 10-3 down, do they chase that? Do they go for a scrum? Do they kick into the corner? Do they like, Do they do they trust themselves to go 10-6 to Leinster? They still need to score twice. Yeah, they can score a try, you know, but they have the conversion. So you, you give, and the longer that goes on, um, the more the doubt creeps into a team. Whereas at 10-all, all you got to do is score once and that's it.
1: Um, you were making some points to me prior to this about the relative change in the depth of the squads that both Saracens and Leinster have from the time they met last season uh, en route to Leinster's fourth title. Um, and again, it was a relatively similar score. Uh, Leinster won by 11 yeah, points. Leinster
2: won 30 points to 19 in last year's quarter final an 11-point margin. Saracen's won by 20 points A 10 this year's final, a 10-point margin. So one way of looking at it is it's a 21-point swing, which I think is sort of irrelevant. I think the margin is 10 points. That's what it is. That's the difference between the teams. Um, Saracen's had, I think, 17 out of 23 returned from last year's Matchday squad. Leicester had 16 out of 23 returning. So the players who weren't there for Leinster this time age were um, Eason Asiwa, who's retired. Jordy Murphy, who's moved to Ulster. Joey Carby, who's moved to Munster. Dan Levy, who's injured. Fergus McFadden, who's banned. Andrew Porter, who was dropped. And Nick McCarthy, the scrum half, who was uh, injured for most of the season, um, excluded from the EPCR squad and, and is moving to Munster. Next year, uh, whereas so those those guys were replaced respectively by Larmer for McFadden, Bent for Porter, Sean O'Brien for Levy, Hughie O'Sullivan for McCarthy, Ross Byrne for Carberry, Jack Conan for Jordy Murphy, and Robbie Henshaw for Jason Um The guys who missed out for Saracens was uh, Marcelo Bosch, who was replaced. Um, by Lozowski who'd come up from the bench um, and then Juan Figallo or Fagallo rather who was replaced by uh, Lamasatelli Satelli who was then replaced by Vincent Koch Shulk Brits, who's retired replaced by Joe Gray which is a big downgrade Dominic Day who was, who was on the bench uh, so they had to do some jiggery-pokery in terms of because Rhodes was injured. So they moved Will Skelton into the second row. So essentially replaces Dominic Day. Uh, uh, And moved Toje back to six. So they dropped uh, Schulteberger to the bench. They dropped Nick Seque to the bench. They dropped Richard Wigglesworth to the bench. But they're able to bring in Billy Von and David Strettle into their squad. So this was a stronger Saracen side than last year when they said there's a couple of commentators who said oh we're missing some key players last year they were really only missing Vanapola Tojay was there Jamie George was there Wigglesworth Farrell Brad Barrett you know they were really missing Billy Vanapola and I felt that Brad Barrett won the Man of the Match award which was in my opinion very much designed to not excite controversy because to stand player on the pitch was clearly Billy Vanapola yeah who, dominated the what, game
0: what a player like irreplaceable I'd, I thought prior to the Lions tour I'm a huge Toby Falotau fan so I thought Toby Falotau would, would be the test number 8 Talupe Tulupe, Tulupe would be the test number 8 but haven't seen haven't rewatched watched the match haven't seen Billy Van play for England and play for Saracens in big matches uh, super, super player so dominant so good at so many different aspects of the game, um, so not not just a huge man. It's it, it's not just that, um, irreplaceable. Like
2: his his worth statistically was was fairly staggering. So over the course, he was on the pitch for most of the game, but he had uh, forty seven open field actions, but divided between twenty five possessions and twenty two attempted tackles. So his tackle completion was 18 from 22. Nine passes and two offloads, 16 carries for 63 meters, two clean breaks, four defenders beaten, two offloads, two intercepts. Um, This is like, he was, f- everything he did. The winning well, try also. Almost he, everything he did was very effective and he did loads of things. So he obviously brought a huge amount of, heat onto himself with some really quite backwards
0: uh, fundamentalist on twitter on twitter so I wasn't even like on a radio phone in show yeah. where you know you might get a bit of heat and then they can take him off you did it on twitter like oh, you know God. i've uh, I, I said before in previous um
2: in a previous podcast i, I listened to a long interview before and you know he comes across as a fundamentally decent guy i, I I don't know that, I'm not going to get into this absolute morass. I don't agree with what he said on Twitter. Um but he's a he's a hell of a rugby player.
0: And he, like even he scored that try off the back of the scrum. And Greece Ruddock got a really good hit in him. And partly because where the try was given, even his his line to run on the far side of the post to make it more awkward for the Leinster guys covering across, they, they couldn't get there. But like Ruddock Never stopped on him, and like Vunapola's legs just never stopped moving. He through. He, he drove through Ruddock, and even when he was on the ground, he still kept his legs going. Um, and it was a good hit. Like you could argue a little bit high, and he got a like bit of Vunapola, but it you know, really, like it, was really hit it was a really, a really solid hit. Yeah. And Vunapola got through it. But the thing was, he, Saracens used him off the back of the scrum so much in that match, going right, going left, and not just as a truck-up merchant. Like he takes it off the back of the scrum. And he can like he brings Brad Barrett in by throwing passes off his left hand, so he sucks in the Leinster back row and then sets up there. Like i like Brad Barrett did a huge amount of damage with the ball in hand for a guy who you know exactly what he's got. Like he, he's he's only going to do one thing in attack, um, but it's hard to stop him when he's on the back of the the Vunapolo chariot. But he also broke left off a of scrum. Yeah, like he he breaks he breaks left, he breaks right. He brings all the players in. He sucks in the defense. He's not like he's he can not
2: pass. Just, like he can offload. He's off in the right place all the time. A
0: big bloke. He makes
2: intercepts. Like he reads the game really well. He is the best number eight in the world. Um, and it's one of the issues that they don't just have big players. It's not just like Leinster played a team with a huge pack when they played to lose. Absolutely enormous pack, um, but the Saracens pack is enormous, and they have some of the best players in the world in it. Like Maratoleje is one of the best players in the world. Billy Van Apoel and Mako Vunipola, like Mako only plays thirty-three minutes or something like that. They are some of the best players in the world. Jamie George is a superb player, so they've got a hell of a lot of world-class players. Like, um, they're a really good team. They're really well coached. They play hard for each other. Uh, there's not. It's it is difficult. I think Van Graan said it. The more you look, the less you see. In terms of the less weaknesses you see, they do. They 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 had a hundred percent off line out. Scrum was very strong. Um, they conceded ten penalties there, but that's part. I suppose like a lot of those the penalties are conceded in defence. And they're extremely aggressive in defence. It's a big part of their personality. It's yeah. still the wolf. At Gustard has moved on quite a quite a, a time, you know now. But uh, their defence was is as strong, if not stronger. Than yeah, they've they have
0: a real concentration on working hard. Someone made a comment after the match that. Uh, one of the elements of the play that they really concentrate on saracens in the review is the the kick chase and the, the chase pit in particular so how fast you get up and how many guys get up and this is like they'll pick you up if you if you don't chase it so i, I like the first kick rob carney i thought it really well to field it and hit a sidestep and he all he did was sidestep into Maro Toji because there is a blizzard of an avalanche of guys coming up and attacking all of that said Leinster handled them really well. Like one of the so, there's a few elements of Saracens' game uh, which really impress when you see it, and you sort of think ah, it's more—it's more than just being big blokes, as you were saying. Hmm. Like, Toulouse are big blokes, but like Saracens are better than that, and they—they—they they, they play with so like the rook ball that they play with is really really quick, particularly the sort of the closer to the first phase that you get, so the second, third, fourth phase of rookball that they play with is really quick and that they attack in waves so that, that Austin Healy mentioned it against Munster and you could see it against Leinster that they might send two, say three guys go in motion which is like that sort of American football phrase and I was trying to find it. Uh, I didn't have time to look up. I was just thinking on the way home that it, it reminded me reading about the Green Bay Packers that Vince Lombardi coached that they had a sweep play. Yeah. Where... Pull rather than a sweep. Pull, yeah. A pull rather than a sweep. But they did like... Was Paul Hornung on that team? Was yeah, you, was he, he, he was the, a, he was the, the tailback. Back? The yeah. at the tailback. But like basically the pack would send like three or four blokes. And you could block back then. So we're not necessarily talking about blocking runners because they're, they're runners in motion that don't get the ball. Yeah. Typically... They're the real threats. They're not dummy runners that that, that play a screen. Like they actually could get the ball, but any one of those three blokes could get the ball. And typically, it's the widest guy that get the ball, but not necessarily. It, it depends. But they make the defense work. Um, they put a guy like Runapola to be the widest guy because he's he's going to do the damage because you have to commit your big guys in close if you're going to defend in a proper way. But what they also do is they put a guy, not not just a guy, they put Alex Good into. Uh, what, like a, that trio? So, most teams, what you see is that they've got a pot of forwards, and it's like one bloke is going to get the ball, he might play it out the back, but yeah, like, there's somebody even,
2: there's a back behind him, yeah. And even I an mean,
0: even more elementary version of that is that like one forward gets the ball, and two guys just latch on to him, and it's it's pretty reductive, like it's 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 not great. Um, it's effective at a lower level of rugby.
1: Yeah. really um, or maybe it was it was advanced push, a few years ago but it's not advanced anymore
0: but um like what Saracens do is they put two big blokes and then the third guy that could get the ball is a runner who can distribute so you go from having to defend close in to all of a sudden having to defend wide out so they use Good very well because he, he gives that second attacker option he, and Lizovsky as well you see playing at 13 is a
2: guy who's played an awful lot of out half as well so they don't carry an out half on their bench they're still about half, is either like both, both their, their 15 and their 13 have played out half for Saracens
0: this season. But that said, I thought that the longer that Saracens went through phases outside of Leinster's 22, the more comfortable Leinster looked with handling it. And Leinster first forced turnovers. The problem is that once Saracens get inside their 22, they are ruthless. And,
2: and that's, that's one of the parts where they're... Fairly extraordinary size comes into play.
0: Yeah, well, it, it makes a huge difference because you you, you you contrast Saracens at the end of the first half with going through what looked like an inevitable try. Oh, absolutely. With what Leinster did at the beginning of the second half, we're off second phase. Johnny Sexton's in a rook because Leinster couldn't like. Well, Saracens came in the side all the day, but like, look, they're going forward, so they're, they're getting a lot of those. But Leinster couldn't dominate them all. They couldn't get enough good possession. I think James Lowe ended up getting it and Johnny Sexton had to ruck on him. And you're there going, how the hell are you going to score with your out half hitting a ruck in second face? Like, what trick have you got? Like, your best ball carrier is at the bottom of the ruck and your playmaker is the, fir- he's the first or second man in. It's just like, lad, you're screwed. Like, if you get this ball back and you go forward, you're doing you're doing really well here. So those sort of things, it's, it's rare that I would say Stuart Lancaster and Neil Cullen have been out-coached in in Lancaster's time there. I'm not saying, like, it's never happened because they've lost matches, but...
2: Yeah, Pivak did a, a number on them
0: in Yeah. But when you when you look out. at... When you contrast those those two plays in particular, and like, they're not the only ones. Leinster's attack looks more brittle. It looks more susceptible than Saracen's, which is... Oh, I think that's a really were, good as point. As you were saying, Van Grand's quote, the closer you look, the less there is.
2: Mm. Um... I was going to say something there just about, we, we we talked about Saracen's reputation as a sort of evil empire, Galacticos. And I think, though, that they have recruited really well. Like, Liam Williams is a big name to recruit. He was a big name when he was recruited. Maitland was a lion, so, you know, he's a good get, but it's more, that was a handy piece of recruitment. Well done. Um but other guys they've recruited extremely well. I think Vincent Koch was, is one of them who came on very early. You know, Lamasetele and, and Makovonopola came off at the same time. Cock was he won a man the match award in I think against I think against Munster two years ago in a semi-year. He won a man the match award in a Heineken Cup knockout game for a tight head prop, which was very impressive. And he was again really impressive off the bench. Will Skelton. Will Skelton, was drop, uh, Will Skelton hasn't played for Australia since 2016, and that's not because he moved to South. He was playing for New South Wales in 2017. You know, he can't be sexy for Australia. He doesn't have the same amount of caps as he need to be. But that was a guy who Saracens have got the most out of Will Skelton, mm. um, which nobody else could. Like, Cheka coached him for the Waratahs, picked him early, picked him for Australia. Saracens made him lose. I think he's, he's down to... Uh, his felt hundred and thirty odd kilos, and he was ferocious against answer. He looked like one of the, like one of the best locks in the world, which he always had the physical potential to be. And um, Shout Burger, Shout Burger, getting getting Schalk, in this, like
0: getting Shout Burger. I don't know what they're paying Shout Burger, and he's on the bench for the net, he's also he's thirty six. But yeah. like you see Shout Burger, and you just think about Jake White, and he's like, I've oh, I have, have four men in my back row I have yeah. Shout Burger. Like the incredible Schalk, when he was before so many injuries, but even after his injuries, just yeah, uh, magnificent. Okay, I think there. it's I think it's fifteen years ago that he won World,
2: World Player of the Year, year. two I, I think I you think, think four, it went yeah? oh yeah, maybe you're right. I yeah. think it went Keith Wood, yeah. Galtier, Wilkinson, and then Schalk Um, to have a guy like Schalk playing for whatever it was, fifteen or sixteen minutes. I'm sure he's playing, getting really well paid, but big personality. Um,
0: and he sets the culture in your squad. So he, like, yeah. What struck me about what sparked Schalkberger was that uh, like Will Skelton comes up and trains as hard, harder than he's ever trained, has a better diet, loses weight, is more effective than he's ever been. And very similar to Tudon, like it's, it's not just a matter of you splash the cash and you get these guys and it works out. Like you've, you've got to buy the right guys. You've got to, yeah. guy buy, got to buy guys who are going to enforce a culture and that they're able to turn. There's a, the famous, uh, oh, the famous, the anecdote about Brad Thorne at Leinster training, turning around to one of the back rows who was giving it all the verbals and saying, well, why don't you start pushing a bit more? And everyone's thinking that was Jamie Heaslip and Brad Thorne has just put him in his place. And whether it was or whether it wasn't, uh, Thorne could do that. And no one was going to say boo to him. Um, and a player like that just gives everyone that extra 5 or 10%.
2: Because rugby does demand a huge physical effort. Like an enormous physical effort. That When people talk about putting their bodies on the line, you look at the sort of injury that happens to Dan Levy, like, that is that is actually, your body is on the line. Mm. Uh, and if you have guys who have a charismatic aura, Paul O'Connell, Berger, Johnny Wilkinson, that enables, that enables, that brings out something more in the players' range. And Sarsons are tight. Let's see the other thing. They are, they seem really tight. One of the, like, I, I like Alex Scott. I've always thought he was a really good player, but it's really funny seeing him on the piss a couple of days later still in his gear. I don't know if anybody else saw that. I didn't see that. we like full gear, boots and all, still out in the tear, like, the day after. The day Monday. After. Yeah. Amazing. Um, so, you know, they, that they're, that they're, like, a, a rugby club as well. I'm, I'm just. I thought they were definitely the best team in Europe this year. And that, uh, you know, it was a... a Leinster gave them a good game, but like Saracens are the best team in Europe.
1: Let me ask you a quick question then to wrap up the talking about this game. Uh, one of my favorite ever uh, games of club rugby in recent years was the final of the Super 15 or Super Rugby in 2015 uh, between the Chiefs and the Hurricanes. Mm, yeah, it um, was a great game. It was just... And absolutely, it was a stonker start to finish, and uh, this game was a bit more, a bit more of a forwards, a bit more of a Northern Hemisphere game, I yeah. guess. But it struck me as being on the same level as that game, and that it was like this is test match rugby, but played with the kind of like good, good test match rugby club, club level coordination that maybe you don't even get at test match, but like the physical intensity of test match rugby. Um, are there any other games in your? Memory bank that spring to mind is... Claremont, Lester, Claremont, Lester, Lester, Claremont, 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 uh,
2: Claremont, semi-final S- in 2012. 2012. Yeah. yeah, that was, i was still, that's still a sort of the... High watermark. The high watermark. That That game was ferocious. Absolutely ferocious. Leinster have played other big teams and won some, like the, the quarter final or semi-final against Toulouse the previous year in Lansdowne Road like that was a, a Toulouse team loaded with great French players, um, Josie on like that, the old guard, mm. so to speak, uh, and, and a brilliant Leinster team. But the game the following year, the semi-final the following year was the most ferocious game that I remember. Um, it was, you know, and, and the Saracens game was just, just the same level. Like,
1: you know, you know, lack like the drama, probably. Yeah.
2: Yeah, unless I lost. Yeah. But uh, but uh, you're right though. It did lack the drama, you know, because you know G- Gordon Darcy's tackling for Fan had changed it at the last moment, yeah. you know, from something that was very close to trying not being trying. But that was, that was like certainly when you say test match intensity, like Six Nations proper, like that was far more intense than. A Most lot six of Six Nations, Nations games. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Uh, so, it was, Leinster didn't play badly and there were certainly some really, like, and Healy had an outstanding performance. I thought James Ryan was another, uh, just another blinder. Jack Conan, although overshadowed, put in a really strong performance. And, and then Rob Kearney once again proved that if you put him in a big game, he performs. Um, Lesser didn't play badly, but they needed to be at play exceptionally to beat that Saracens team. And there is a gap between playing well and playing exceptionally. Mm-hmm. And uh, and Saracens wouldn't allow them to play exceptionally.
0: Someone needs to stop him. Referee blows for half time
1: over the last couple of weeks the story about the Munster coaching ticket refusing their contracts has been kind of bubbling up a bit um, and it's 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 been one of those stories where everyone's trying to figure out what's the real story behind it and like we obviously don't know it's a cliffhanger but um, they were off uh, Felix Jones and Jerry Flannery were both offered contracts which they turned down um, with what two, three months left in the season
2: oh, and fun. Munster
1: and a month, a month, a month. What am I talking about? Yeah, a month. Like Munster are um, facing into another season where they have some kind of uncertainty uh, over coaching situation. Um, there was uh, commentary. I think it was Shane Horgan. and or in the, it might. Sorry, it might have been actually on the 42s podcast, and they were questioning just the 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 standard of organization at Ulster. Yeah,
2: I, I listened to that. I was a uh, Birch and, um, and Murray Kinsling and Gavin Casey, and it was very good. Birch is really interesting on in those because he has been down that path. He knows what's involved. And it was interesting to hear his point of view on the running of it. Why didn't they have an earlier deadline on, on the response to these? Now, I know that earlier in... So maybe a month and a half ago, Van Graan said our first priority is get these players tied down, then start coaching staff. But they've been left in a situation which I don't think I don't think they expected either coach to uh, to pass up a contract. And um, they've been left in an exposed situation going into the going into the summer and and then into the next season, which does start later than most seasons, starting months later. But maybe you could give us the actual technical rundown of what each of their jobs were and how monsters were. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Munster, did they did close you close that tab? <laughs>
0: <laughs> we, uh, well, Young Van Garan is, is listed as, as head coach. Uh, just as an aside, I remember looking on the Ulster website years ago when Humphreys was there to see, Humphreys just wasn't listed. Like, everyone else had a job, and Humphreys is just... i am Puppet master. <laughs> I'm in the Humph role. <laughs> just, they don't even list me. <laughs> just, I am <laughs> Ulster Rugby. Um, but Johan Bangran is head coach. Jerry Flannery is forwards coach. Felix Jones is backline and attack coach. So maybe the forwards turn attack? Who knows? Oh, um, no, sick burn. <laughs> And I guess where we got into the commentary about who does the roles is that Bangran at the head of the organization, replaced Razi Rasmus, who was the director of rugby. And Anthony Foley was the head coach. So all of a sudden then that director of rugby role disappeared. And director of rugby is one of those roles that you go, so like, what does the director of rugby do? Like Leo Leo Cullen, to all intents and purposes, I would consider as Leinster's director of rugby. Absolutely. Except he's he's called Leinster's head coach. Mm -hmm. And Stuart Lancaster has senior coach, which is quite an inspired moniker of uh, meaningless and yet quite descriptive, mm. quite accurately descriptive. Um, and so did they not have a director of, There's no director of rugby anymore. So there was only a director of rugby for- What direction is the rugby going in? There's only director of rugby there for a season and a half? Was it only a- uh, So I'm, it's very, I, I guess you go, okay, so what does the position do? As opposed to the person filling the position. Like, the, there has to be a role for someone at the club. And, you know, say. Well, you, you, you can tell us more about this, about like Liverpool and the transfer policy, just to, just to get slightly off, about to get completely off topic from, from Munster Rugby. But the reason I ask is that Brendan Rogers and Jurgen Klopp, all intents and purposes, have the same job, except all you heard about when Rogers was there was the transfer committee. Well, funny
1: enough, I read an article about that on the train back from uh, Anfield on Sunday evening. Um, And it was Chris Bascom in the Daily Telegraph and he was talking about, he was doing a, how FSG turned Liverpool from a shit show into something really competent that has had a really good season. And he got to the point where, he, I mean, I thought it was revealing that in in the article that his only contacts were the people who didn't work at the club anymore. But he had Ian Eyre who used to be the managing director of Liverpool and he was talking about basically the system at Liverpool hasn't changed between the time that Rodgers was there and Klopp was there. It's just that now everyone agrees on the system, which makes, to me, seems incredibly feasible. That Brendan Rodgers came in and said, I don't want a director of football. Liverpool don't have a position called director of football. They have a guy called Michael Edwards, who was kind of like the head of their analytics and the head of that whatever... He was head of their kind of administrative side of their uh, recruitment, and then he became the sporting director afterwards. Yeah, and like so, they made up a new role for him that he moved into. uh while Klopp was there after Rodgers, so it was basically they always had a transfer committee. They always st- they still do have a transfer committee, but the transfer committee also never existed. It was a total tabloid bogeyman. It's like they they t- have a collegiate approach where everyone who is involved in it, as in like a guy who looks after statistics, the guy who's a scouts, and the guy who's the manager, and the guy who pays the bills, all have a say in it, like any process. Yeah, And, there, well, there's,
0: and there's a few reasons that I ask. One is that it was such a high-profile, as you say, bogeyman during Rodgers' time. Um, but, but I can't imagine that Fenway decided they'd change because Brendan Rodgers didn't like it. And then Liverpool being... That winning anything have been very successful, certainly looked to be a much better run. But then you see, like, who they've brought in in terms of how they've spent the money, who they've got rid of, and you go, actually, the decision making process looks really strong. Um, so, the avenue I was going down with that is that, from a what you call a government, what I consider a governance point of view, really, is that so, what, is, what does each role do? Like, what, what's what is each role designed to do in the club, and then who fills that role and how? What elements of their personality and expertise do they bring to that role?
2: Well, one of the things that Birch said on the Forty Two podcast, uh, which you could just listen to, instead of <laughs> listening to me <laughs> paraphrase him, was that some some people are not comfortable uh, with telling a player that he's not worth what he thinks he is, or that there's not going to be uh, that there's not going to be a job for him there next season and um, and if you are the head coach and you don't like doing that, that's going to be much more stressful to combine with your other job than if that's your main job as director of rugby and you have a head coach taking most of the on-field things. It's a huge part of rugby. Like In, in the NFL, they typically have a general manager and a head coach. Some head coaches get to the point where they're so powerful that they take on the general manager Job as well, like Holmgren did it uh, for Seattle. And eventually, things tend to fall apart. Mm-hmm. You know, that too much power is vested in one person, uh, a sort of cult of personality builds up and it just collapses, either declining results or when that person leaves. So I think that the director of rugby and head coach model works really well for. Uh, the provinces, because you consistently, because of limits put on the amount of players you can access from other countries, you consistently have to have an eye on how to rejuvenate your squad from within. So if you don't have to do all the jobs, all the analysis of the opposition, coaching the team, dealing with players' agents, uh, dealing with injury and rehab, you and, you know, dealing with bringing players into the team, if you have more of an overview and you don't have to do as much on-field coaching, you can have more of a mid-term or a mid-length uh, sort of point of view. Of like, oh, it's important that these
0: eight a more players- strategic point of view. Yeah. Again, like, you know, to put a sort of a corporate moniker on it, you're able to take a step back, look at it from a slightly wider context. Like, even to the, even to the terms of... Um, selection and you go, okay, well, you know, how many minutes do I have to give to guys across my squad to make it meaningful for them that I know that they're they're contributing, that it's it's, it's worth us having them on the books, Mm -hmm. Um, that they're going to stick around next season and not get hacked off, that we're able to challenge on two fronts. Um, or that we, we know that we're not able to challenge in two fronts, so where do we prioritize, um, that we sort of know where guys are as high potential or where they are as senior players, how much action do we, you know, where do we want to get them from? And then you, you, you look at your season and you there go, like, well, you know, all things been equal. Who am I going to pick? against a, a different slot the season because you've got when your internationals are available do you have internationals when are they available like they're not going to be available during november not going to be available during the six nations who do you pick in that stage so go on.
2: yeah one of the things which comes in always uh, into mind with regards to that is remember at the start of the season i was surprised by how many games that irish internationals were playing for leinster it's like robbie henshaw was playing much more often than i thought he would so was sexton and then post christmas they just didn't play any games
1: I wonder if that was just to cut across there. I wonder if that was to do with the idea that they knew they wouldn't have a summer tour and they had kind of more games to play with Leinster and they thought it might be valuable to play them at the start of the season. I don't know. I think
2: and this might be erroneous, but I think that Leinster looked at their fixture list and targeted winning winning their conference really early. Mm. Having it sewn up as soon as possible. And then affording themselves uh breaks post six nations to their players so that they wouldn't have to be playing important games between important league games between Heineken Cup matches. Uh, because they've had very little access or chosen to play one or the other probably a combination of both. They've chosen to play their, uh, their first choice players very little since the end of the Six Nations. Mm. Most of them, a number of them have played only Heineken Cup games. Some of them also played like a you know a bit of a, a bit of a game against Glasgow.
1: This might be a difficult question to answer off the top of your head or without referring to any kind of websites, but did the other provinces do that and does it strike you as an Ireland wide idea no. or Leinster's own
2: No, I think it's Leinster's that was Leinster's management policy. Uh, Van Gran has picked, we referenced this to the last podcast that we did. Van Gran had 14 players that he likes to pick as often as he can, and 14 players who he rarely picked. And then there was a middle ground. And that's 28 players. So there was a middle ground of 20 players who played quite quite a bit of a... Yeah,
0: and I think that um McFarland has, has a core of guys that he picks. He's got quite a n he's got quite a thin squad. Um so guys like like McCluskey, McCluskey. is core. Johnny Cooney plays a Could lot. Billy Burns plays a lot. Could see ya plays a lot. Nick Timoney plays a lot. uh Jordy, Treadwell. Treadwell, all these guys. Whereas for Connacht, I think Connacht really targeted the league and picked a weaker team. Like I think if Connacht been knocked out of the Challenge Cup pool, wouldn't it wouldn't have be. broken friends' heart. Like he, he picked a weak, he picked weaker teams in his Challenge Cup, and they just kept they didn't win all of them. But like they,
2: they weren't, weren't enough to qualify. They weren't enough
0: to qualify, and he picked quite a weak team to play against Sale in a match that, you know, they went behind, but they they might have won. Um, And I think that they definitely wanted to qualify for the main competition, which Mm -hmm. they've done. And I think they probably wanted a challenge for the league. Like, I think they would have liked to have had a, well, like, qualify for the semis outright, but had a home uh, knockout match.
2: Yeah, like, I think Peter O'Mahony's played 18 games for Munster this year and I think Ty Byrne has played 20, almost, well, bar one of them, a start. Like, that's that's a heavy load. Now, Ty Byrne didn't play as many international games. My, from the, I, th- I looked it up recently enough, so I'm fairly sure that Peter O'Malley has played 25 games this season. Mm.
0: Uh,
2: seven internationals and 18 games. For, so, so It's so a heavy
0: load for a back rower. So the guy is leaving. I was thinking about this, and I was trying to think about any job that you would leave, and I was there going, does it, like, is it, you boil it down to opportunity or personality. That there's basically more money on offer somewhere else, or you just don't like the people, you don't like the organisation that you're working in, and you want to leave. And is it a combo of the two? And maybe it's more, you know, maybe it's more nuanced, but probably not. I think anybody who's had experience of leaving a job will recognise a combination of of opportunity and personality. And you know, you look at Jerry Flannery and Felix, and you go, "There's there's two guys that are played for Munster." Um, relatively young, uh, you know, where else, where else would they want to go? It'll be interesting where they, where they turn up.
1: My first question, so then you sort of go, the story most was, personality. Are they going to London Irish? Which doesn't seem yeah. to be the case. But no. I thought it was just a part, of, another part of that story. So you said, personality, or what's the issue?
2: Well, I felt, it's funny because there's relatively little information about it available, and maybe that's right, maybe it's none of our business how much, or the exact reasons why anybody leaves a job, it's, like, who's, it's not really my business, you know, but it is interesting. And um, my first thought was that there was, a, uh, Felix Jones was getting a, a lot of criticism for Monster's lack of attacking shape, and there was talk of Munster in negotiations with Robert Howley, and Jones just might have either got the hump or jumped before he was pushed, or the combination of the two. Uh, when it was announced that Flannery was even, I was, was this sort of solidarity pact, and then I, I yeah, exactly. I, I, well, it's the first thing. Well, when you when you hear the two people are even at the same time, you go, oh, maybe that's it. I, I just don't know. Um, but the. The idea that Van Graan needed somebody else, obviously Leinster's Leo Cullen bringing in and Stuart Lancaster has people are saying, well, that was a masterstroke because it was. And I think that Van Graan looking to the newly available Robert Hedges in a very comes from a very similar mold. But uh, my query would be that I, there was there was there was a, a quote. It wasn't a quote actually. It was reported a Cork Examiner or the Examiner rather that Munster were looking for somebody who would take on the whole portfolio, who wasn't necessarily going to uh, come in directly overhead of any one coach, but would lighten all their loads. And you're going. So it's a portfolio who's going to oversee attack, forwards, defence. Oh, like the head coach. Like that's the head coach's portfolio. So then my next question was, I can understand why Leo Cullen asked Stuart Lancaster in, because Cullen had had two years of coaching experience in total. Mm-hmm. You know, He'd been Ford's coach under Matt O'Connor. Then when Matt O'Connor got the sack, he was promoted to head coach. Van Graan has been involved in professional coaching at a high level, super rugby level, since 2004, so he's 15 years involved in professional coaching. Technical advisor to the Bulls, forwards coach to the Bulls, technical advisor to Springboks, co- spring forwards coach to the Springboks. I don't, I can understand that. It's never a waste of money to bring in a good coach. It's a really good expenditure of money. But it's a, very, it's a different situation than Cullen because Van Grand, has a lot of experience he's a young coach yeah but that's what he's been doing for the last 15 years experience isn't just based on age it's based on accumulation of knowledge so that strikes me as van Gran looking more for an equal to have as a soundboard rather than somebody to instruct um And then I query why the job that he was looking for or the person he was looking for wasn't classed as a consultant in the same way that Eddie Jones had previously been for Saracens and for South Africa or that Riff Gaffney had previously been for Michael Cheka.
1: Or um, even uh, Graham Henry had been for Leinster even if it was only for a week or two weeks or whatever it was. You know, he was yeah, into... someone
2: like, but Eddie Jones was employed for basically a full year for Saracens as a consultant. Mm. Um, so, I, and I don't know. The, you can never know the ins and outs of that situation. that would involve like flying the wall stuff. But to me, it's just a big. It's another. It's another big drama. In in Munster, another episode in, you know, sort of a soap opera type.
0: Yeah, there. it's 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 difficult to know. It certainly at this remove, it doesn't seem to make sense. Because um, you're talking about Van Gran as though Van Gran has this decision of Van Gran wants to do this and that. But I mean, it has to be the exact like the monster have to have well, M- Munster do. They have a chief executive who would make those decisions board, yeah, about yeah, appointment, yeah. and they'd have a board, and that board should have an idea of the, the coaching structure that they want to employ and what the like basically what the KPIs are to use that acronym are for each position so how do you know your director rugby is doing a good job what what are his objectives how do you know your head coach is doing a good job or whatever coaching structure you choose to employ how do you know he's doing a good job um and i guess like I'm not sure we might talk about it next season, but at the same time, Bill Johnson left. I think it's a good move for. I think book it's. I think it's a good move for Irish rugby. It's an unusual move in that somebody is going between Munster and Ulster, yeah. which is not. It's not a well-trodden path. I think it's good for Johnson, who's highly regarded. It's impossible for me to look at it as anything other than a direct corollary of, of Carberry joining Munster late on in the season. And it, it never made sense that Munster would have four out halves on the books. It'll be... I'm very curious to see what Johnson does there next season at Ulster. Um, the, Ulster certainly seemed to have a very good attacking shape about them. Um, Burns played an awful lot of rugby this year. Uh, I think Johnson should get an opportunity. McFarland is... Um, Who's the guy who was played at the end of the last? Mac Phillips, is it? No. Yeah. Mac Phillips. Mac Phillips didn't really get a look in, and can go back to that idea of Mac seemed to have very definite ideas about who he wanted. Like so, Mac picked uh, Eric O'Sullivan from effectively nowhere to play the line share of uh, game time at Loosehead, including the big matches. So, like, if Mac likes you, he'll pick you. He like reputation. He, he'll make his own decision about that. Um, so if he likes Johnson Johnson will get rugby um,
2: and I think Van Graan uh, you made a very good point there I, I'm saying everything is Van grand this Van grand that that's unfounded it could be entirely he could be party to it it could be above his head I, I don't know one thing which I do think is has his uh, fingerprints all over is uh, recent departures from the squad have been announced and unsurprisingly there are a lot of the players who he Essentially, um, marginalized, marginalized by selection. Monster. Uh, uh, we wrote an article about this a number of months ago. At the end of the uh, end of the year last year uh, about who was playing and who wasn't playing. So marginalized. Keatley, he just decided no. Nope. You know, now it's going to be Carberry and Blaindell, Hanrahan. Hard, um, hard yeah. never featured. Yeah, Cronin. he just. Um, well, Cronin's still there. Cronin, he has an idea yeah. for. But Duncan Williams, who who did him some service, you know, he played very well over in Exeter. Uh, but he said, you know, you're 33, not going not going pick you anymore. Basically, after Christmas, uh, Ronan Matney retired. Mike Sherry, who's had significant injury problems, spent some time alone at Gloucester. He's not getting renewed. Uh, Dave O'Callaghan, who we mentioned in that article as well, he's uh, apparently you, himself and Harder both heading to Biarritz. So he, I think, he decided that there's seven players there who he wasn't, didn't see as part of Munster going forward. Ronald Matney retired, and but I t- don't think he would have wanted Bill Johnson to leave. But I, my understanding is. From the, the bio on his uh, Monster website page, which Johnson was signed up until next year, summer of 2020. So it looks like he asked to be released from his contract in the same manner as Jack McGrath, for example, in Leinster um, because he wasn't getting games. Yeah. Uh, like he's He's been in the Munster. This is his either second or third year in the Munster senior squad. He was promoted very quickly.
1: You have a prominent under-20s. He's I very
2: think, good, yeah. You know, and I, I, I've i seen him a couple of times this year, once in the pre-season, friendly, and once in the Celtic Cup. A very good player.
0: I think one of the criticisms that you'd have of monster as an organisation is that they've had very few academy players come through uh, in comparison with Leinster. So for one of their high-profile young players to leave the club, again, it's it's an odd look. it's It's just... It's a bit hard to say... It's a Bit hard to point to progress. Like, I don't think stuff has got markedly worse because Munster like, semi finals both competitions, yeah, semi finals in both competitions, fi- finished very and could still win the Pro 14, mm-hmm. finished very close to the top. Like, themselves in Glasgow were nip and took, won a lot of matches. So, it's like it's not a shambles, but it's it's just it's kind of um,
1: it's treading water at a certain yeah, level, yeah, it's treading water, yeah,
0: yeah, and
2: and you I think it's most. In comparison, Ulster had a disaster season last year, like
1: the worst worst
2: season, basically, and they've shot upwards. Connacht had it almost. They didn't have any of the off-fielder, but they had a very poor season.
0: Subdued, yeah.
2: And again, they've shot straight up, whereas Munster, and again, you know, it could all change if they win a pot this year, um, but there's, a, again, there's... This, this departure of their two most high-profile assistant coaches very late in the day um, is it's, it's just another sort of...
1: RFC Hollywood.
2: <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Like, like I say, it's just, it's just drama. Yeah. It's drama, you know, and it, that's... <clears throat> I was sort of disparagingly referred to it as a soap opera, but... That's the closest thing. There's, There doesn't seem to be any reason for them to leave.
0: No, not that I can look at. So how, how do you think it impacts on... Does it have any direct impact on the match of the weekend?
1: I think, I don't think it has as much of an impact as Leinster having played a super tough game on yeah, Saturday. Yeah,
0: I agree
2: with that. Like, you know, Munster struggled, really struggled, <laughs> at home against Treviso. But... Um, it's cup rugby, and in a one-off game, Munster have shown that they can beat Leinster this season. Mm-hmm. Um, Leinster have home advantage, which will... You know, home advantage is, is just... It's a big deal in knockout rugby. Um, but they played a brute of a game at the weekend, whereas Munster were able to have you know, good training one week, no match training a second week specifically to this game. So it evens it it evens it up a
0: lot. It evens up the odds a lot. I don't know about the brood of a game thing. Like you you get fitter by playing matches. I know that sounds a very antiquated way and there's mm-hmm. GPS and all the rest of it, but I mean you play a match at that caliber, at that level. Like that's good.
2: Yeah, well, except I mean, except like yeah. I don't know, like that's like Will Skelton hit you? It's never going to be that good for you.
1: There was no, uh, no one came out of that game on a stretcher mm. or like limping. Even they were just beaten and bruised. But I mean, in that sense, you, you wouldn't be like, oh Jesus, they're they're knocked up or anything like that. Like after certain, you know other games, I'm I'm curious who Colin picks. Yeah, I think does he does he pick Johnny Sexton?
2: Yeah, I think yeah. he does. I do, I don't think. I always think that uh, backs don't need to be rotated or protected to the same degree as forwards. I think forwards just take so much more contact. They're involved in making and taking so much more collisions.
0: You pick Sean or No, no way. Who who plays? Josh Bangerfair
2: is back the Mr. Miracle Man, the fucking sixty million dollar man. This fell back five weeks early from his, his rehab. Day, I'd certainly pick uh, Vanderfeer. Which,
0: which, which three of the overseas guys, or which two of the three overseas guys, are Jotamani Jota can play. So, which of the sort of Jose the Mani's non eligible yeah. guy, like what, what's the mix between Low Gibson Lowe, and Park and Gibson Fardy Park
2: and Low? I I think that Fardy, uh, because he's a forward, because he's the oldest member of our pack, even though he's a very good player, I believe, like uh, he's an outstanding player for us. But I think that Reese Roderick will come in at six. Who, bar the um, twenty odd minutes he got against Saracens, hasn't played an awful lot recently.
1: Well, I mean, so I change.
2: I changed two members of the back yeah. row. I would also be tempted to pick Andrew Porter at tight head, Um who I felt I felt that Michael Bent had done so well against Toulouse that Porter. Couldn't really have any complaints about being dropped from the squad, but it would have hurt him an awful lot. Uh, it would have been a tight decision. Also, Porter is, is one of uh, Leinster's most powerful players. He is, again, he's coming back from his, his pec injury, so he hasn't played a lot of rugby in the last three weeks. He'll have something to prove. He's fresh. He's one of our best. himself has got Friday of the most jackals of any Leinster player, the most successful jackals brings a lot to the table and um, I sort of would like to see himself, Cronin and Kian Healy start with Ryan, Toner in the second row, van der Fleer and Ruddock. So that's three new forwards in. I expect Colin to start again. He had a big game but I expect him to be able to go again um, and then the same back line. I don't think they need to change up that back line.
0: You I think JG, JGP on the bench?
2: Well, I'd actually... I'd seriously think about starting JGP over Luke McGrath um, and having Maloney on the bench. I believe Maloney's back training.
0: And... and Max And who, who do you think Munster Van Graan will go with?
2: Uh, killer. Scannell.
0: Ryan. John Ryan, Archer, probably. Probably Ryan. I got, probably yeah.
2: Ryan. Uh, Ty Byrne. Uh, Klein, uh, CJ. Jan Klein. CJ. I think he'll start Clota. Uh, so they'll have three yeah. big breakdown threats Murray Carberry's going to be allegedly uh, available for selection uh, Roy Scannell um, Chris Farrell uh, Earls again apparently alleged, uh, available for selection so Earls,
0: Earls Conway Conway. Hayley.
2: And I think he'll pick Hayley at fullback yeah. he's picked Hayley in like, 25 so he doesn't pick Blandell 25 matches well, Blendell, I don't even think Blandell will be on the bench I think Hanrahan will be on the bench Hanrahan made the a big impact against Treviso, he's a better place kicker. Um, I think he's slight, you know, because he has history of playing 15 and 12, he offers you a very good inside back cover. So you can have, you know, you can have Hanrahan at, at, at 22 and and uh, Sweetenham at 23 and you've covered all the three-quarter line and
0: back. Yeah, like for Leinster, Leinster have won their four previous finals, so they, they've had to come in various hungover states to subsequent matches, semi-finals and finals, depending on the timing of the season, whereas in this one, they've lost, so they've got to pick themselves off the canvas of the disappointment. And, you know, I look back at last season when... Um, he managed his like, Cullen managed his squad, I think would be the way of saying it. Like, mm-hmm. basically, Sexton didn't play, and I can't remember the rest of the team, but it wasn't like. Carby was fullback. Carby Ross was fullback.
1: Low, low played, having not played the final.
0: Yeah, yeah Ross Byrne was out half. Loco L- played. Loco came, the Loco starter Come on. He played at centre and sh- tackled sh- bit. I think sure he played Loco behind Ringo's. Anyway, like, it wasn't. Um, it wasn't full gun. And. Conan played ahead of Geordie Murphy, which was 50-50. But it was it was those sort of decisions. And um when you go through both teams, you sort of go, there isn't a huge amount between them. Like Leinster should Leinster should have a better squad. Just just by dint of the sort of the experience that they have, the sort of the depth is a bit more pronounced, but but it's not it's not massively better. No. So it'll be a very it'll be a very tight match and I think it's um q like 25 point difference but uh it's it's hard to see it's it's hard to sort of see a team being beaten in a final and then managing to pick themselves up again because all you're thinking about is the final what we might have done and it's compartmentalization is a word that's used a lot with elite sportsmen. So it probably won't be as difficult as I think it will be. Um, but there's like, there's, there's three teams and a home final for Glasgow, albeit they're not playing in the ground they're familiar with, three mm-hmm. Irish teams, um, <clears throat> all at different stages of their development. So it's, it's a match that like for, it's a very valuable pot to win. And like it's a funny one because um, like Leinster were qualified from so far out and then you've got those uh, sort of repishage matches if you want to call it like that which are kind of non-events like no one looks at them and then you've got the Heineken well no final. one goes to them no <laughs> one goes to them no one goes to them but they were good games Yeah, they were good games and then and then all of a sudden like you're you're game on again mm. and people have sort of forgotten about the league but I don't need to forget about the league once once they're in it so like for Leinster, it would be very disappointing having finished so far ahead. Like basically their season was over at March is what it looks like. Start if, of March. If Leinster don't get through, to the, basically if Leinster don't win it, you know, or arguably get through to the, the semi, the final. For Munster, it just looks like another semi-final loss if that's the, 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 the stage that they get to. And then for Ulster, it's...
1: It's a free hit, isn't it?
0: I don't think so anymore. I thought the season at the outset... I thought it was a free hit. I think once you get to this stage and you've got so much momentum behind you that there's a bit of a concern that if you don't capitalize on the momentum, you're, you're still nearly men.
2: I think it's a free hit for Ulster. For yeah. I yeah. think it's a free yeah. hit. Yeah, They're away from home. Glasgow won the other group. Uh, most have done really well thus far. Like They've really turned the entire province around in one season. Like from being basket case to being Heineken Cup quarter finalists, league semi finalists. Like they were playing to
0: compete. Yeah, knock out knockout rugby team. Yeah. Again, yeah.
2: So I think it's a completely free hit from I don't expect them to win. I think Glasgow are better than them. Um and then home advantage is going home advantage is a big factor. There's extra seating in in, in uh, the RDS. It's gonna it's a sellout and I sort of, I, I put so much, I said it before about the Heineken Cup group stages, like away games are just tough. They're they're tough for both sides. They're tough for Munster. They're, it's going to be tough for Munster. It's going to be tough for Ulster to, to get a win in an away ground.
0: So you're saying Leinster-Glasgow final?
2: Leinster-Glasgow final. So I, think I think so, yeah. I think so.